I did want to, before we jump into it, talk a little bit about those books for just a moment that you recommended, uh, DOS Energy and uh, Sacred Economics. Yes. Both fantastic uh, for different reasons. <laughs> Both very different. Yeah, those yeah. are two very different books. <laughs> Um, I read Sacred Economics first, and oh man, it, it's great to to get a clear perspective on um, one part of the instrumental shift that we're going through. So yeah, um, I think the the work there is just invaluable. Like even even just as ideas being laid down, even if none of that necessarily gets implemented the way that he speaks about, right? It, it helps to get a, a handle on what the future can look like and also the uh, importance of dealing with the, the conversation of currency and money, because it's something that I really tie the, the shift of consciousness that we're going through to also a shift in our economic structure. So that was yes. like, you know, so, so valuable. What, uh, what did you get from it? Yeah. It's a, it, how much of our culture, how much culturally, how much of the cultural story, this is what I love about Charles's work, how much of the story we tell ourselves is driven by structures that we take for granted and don't really consider mm -hmm. the, the water we swim in. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I think about, you know, feminist thought has come a long way in this stuff, intersectionality, right? So masculinity is not masculinity and the way we understand it without a capitalist consumption-based transactional system to drive it. Mm -hmm. Like, it just mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm, it blew mm -hmm. my mind. And, <laughs> and how human, how I and we, like, assign value to human beings based on productive capacity, based on net, you know, net worth instead of net gift mm -hmm. um, that we're able to bring to the world and how fully how fully we're able to manifest manifest our gift in the world and that's it's just huge and it it's mind-bending to me to try and see a way past the story that we're in because i recognize even in myself some incredibly deeply held biases um you know whether i want to admit it or not there's a hierarchy of people value in my head um that goes with this story that that we tell economically mm -hmm. politically socially so mm -hmm. yeah that's i charles is a he's a an incredible thinker and if, if you watch him watch him speak too because you can kind of see the cogs in his brain moving as he's talking. It's wild. That's great. Wow. Yeah. Um, good. And yeah, that's, that's sacred economics. <laughs> and then DOS energy. I mean, I think, I feel like that's one of those, one of those books that like you can, um, have a, um, glass of wine or something with a couple friends and just open up to any page and just discuss. Yes. That's it. Yeah. It's a crazy little book. And I was probably 17 or 18. Oh, wow. The first, <laughs> the first time I read that book. And um, 
and the the page that has it's three sets of parentheses that just says just do it yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the whole page like like you know 30 years before no probably not 20 years before the nike advertising campaign um and and the paul williams i still struggle with it the the idea fear is the mind killer stamp it out mm -hmm, mm -hmm. stamp it out don't think stamp it out um because that's i've always been an anxious person i think uh, temperamentally since i was little little i've been kind of an anxious person so fear of fear of what's going to happen fear that the the other shoe is going to drop is something that has a piece of work that I have to keep doing like, Oh, that, no, that's just my catastrophizing mind. It's okay. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't have to hold that fear. So that, that book has had a, a, a pretty lasting impact on my life. What a gift to get something like that at such a young age. I remember you telling me about your, your, your mom's bookshelf. My I mean, mom's bookshelf. Treasure yep. trove, man. Yeah, she was a, she was a weird, she was, she was an amazing, an amazing uh, conundrum. My mother, <laughs> I was just talking about, just talking about her yesterday with somebody else. The, the, the perfectionist shadow that I took on from, from my mom, because as a, as a kid and watching how my mom operated in the world and growing up with that, there was this, my mom was perfect. My mom was like a workaholic perfect like everything was perfect about what my mother did and how i've internalized that as an adult like nothing's ever good enough <laughs> mm -hmm. i should be able to do more i should be able to do it better i should be able to yeah shooting all over the place shooting all over the place that's right <laughs> piles of shit all over the house piles of shit in the yard <laughs> yeah yeah there you go nice man um, you know, the thing about these conversations that I've been having is they've been very informal and I've, I've actually liked it that way. So yeah. what I'm thinking is maybe just for context, uh, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about like what the Mankind Project is, how you got involved with it. And then after that preamble, we'll just kind of just jump into it. Good. That, that works for me. Let's roll. Yeah, are you? We're on. We're yeah, in. We're, on. we're, we're in. We're, we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was just gonna say, just do it. <laughs> I, I just do it. That's right. I paused. I'm Boysen Hodgson. Yes, that's right. Uh, Mankind Project. So I've been connected to the Mankind Project since 2004. Was when I did their flagship training, which is called the New Warrior Training Adventure. Uh, I've been. Um, I'm one of a very small crew of uh, folks who get to work for the Mankind Project nationally. So we're an international. Mankind Project is in 12 different regions around the world right now. We've got a presence in 20-something countries with um, men who have gone through the primary training, the, the New Warrior training, and men's groups happening. We're uh, 
we have a growing presence now in several uh, African countries. In addition to South Africa, where we've been for a long time, we're growing in multiple uh, Central and South American countries in Guatemala and Venezuela and Argentina and Mexico and Costa Rica. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, the, the older areas, regions around the world, um, starting in the, in the UK and Ireland and France, Germany, Switzerland, Nordic, uh, the Nordic countries are a region together. Um, yeah, Canada and the US. And we got started. The organization is about 35 years old. They did the first new warrior training adventure in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in January of 1985. And uh, they ran three trainings that year. And the founders were uh, a therapist, an ex-Marine who was a General Motors engineer at the time, and uh, Ron Herring, who was a curriculum studies professor at, I think, the University of Chicago. I'm not exactly sure, but he was a kind of psychologist, curriculum studies trainer guy. And these guys had all been doing some personal growth work with a, a number of organizations around there, around you know, the middle of the country, and they had gone and traveled and done some things. And Bill Kalth, who, who his, his uh, shingle outside his practice said feminist therapist. So he was part of the kind of second wave fem feminism. And he was at a feminist therapist conference sometime in the early 80s. And again, was, you know, one of two or three men in a, in a hundred and odd women therapists. And he looked around and saw the depth of connection that these women were building in groups and the empowerment that they were getting from that and the kind of fearlessness that they were kind of approaching things with and the intimacy that they built with each other. And, and um, he had one of those shake your fist at the heavens moments saying, we need something like this for men. Mm -hmm. And then recognized that he, he was, oh shit, the guy who was going to convene um, some people to bring that together. So he got Rich Tosi and Ron Herring together, and both of them resisted at first. And Rich, Rich Tosi, who's a good friend of mine today, you know, Rich didn't like Bill all that much. These guys were <laughs> cut from very different cloth, and they were three very different guys. And they just kind of threw a whole bunch of stuff together and called it the wild man weekend and got a group of guys together and went through it. And the men who participated in those early years, their kind of heads blew open and something that the founders thought, yeah, maybe, you know, two or three years, we'll do some of these and, and that'll be it. 35 years later, 65,000 men have gone through a process very similar to that. It's changed over time, but very similar to that first weekend held in 1985. And now we have a network of somewhere north of a thousand uh, peer facilitated free confidential men's groups around the world, um, growing number of virtual men's groups that we're building uh, multiple curriculum, leadership, multicultural curriculum, all kinds of different work going on. Um, and, uh, and this community, this men's community for the 21st century, a, a brotherhood of men who are 
uh, purpose-driven and uh, holding themselves accountable and aiming at emotional intelligence and maturity and purpose and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the big picture on the organization. Wow. 65,000 men. 65,000 men. Yeah. We, and it's a, it's cool, you know, that the process hasn't changed all that much. And, and some folks have come to me and, you know, have written like 65,000 men in 30 years. Like, so what? That's not very big. You know, Tony Robbins did 50,000 people last year. And, you know, the response has been, but how did he do it? <laughs> you know, we have the, the new warrior training adventure is an intensive uh, initiation, modern initiation process. So if you are one of 40 participants is where we max out no more than 40 participants. Normally weekends are around 30 participants. There will be 40 to 50 staff, all volunteers, except for the small, like four or five person leader team that's paid to be there. The kind of professional leaders for the weekend, everybody else pays to be there. The volunteers pay to be there, pay their way. And they give up four or five days of their lives to go and support this incredibly intensive process. And it's, you know, it's not a theater, it's not a stadium full of people. It's 25 guys at a time that we've hit that 65,000. And that's what I think, you know, made it so powerful for me in 2004, I was 31, 32 years old. Um, I'd been stuck in my life in in a in a relationship that was miserable, in in work that I didn't enjoy, in a lot of things, and I got to a place where it was like, okay, I got to do something. And I knew about this weekend from member other members of my family. Most of the male members of my family have done this thing, and it was like, okay, I, I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to do some of the things that all of these fantastic self help books that I've read have told me that I might want to think about doing in terms of really diving into my shadow and looking at what drives me and looking at what gets in the way and opening up. And so I got to see on that weekend, a group of, you know, 50, 50 men together doing deep, powerful, vulnerable, physical work together, um, emotional work together. And, I didn't know that was possible. There was no part of me that believed or understood that that kind of environment, that kind of safe container, that kind of that stuff was possible. So that that was it. I I walked out of that weekend and 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 here I am, 15 years later, still doing that work. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you've seen a lot in those 15 years. So, uh, so something I'm curious about is like what are some things you've learned from those 15 years? And that's too broad of a question. I can ask you more specifics, but I'm sure there's some key takeaways that you've got from that, you know? There's a little, yeah. In what, in what phase? So, so okay. yeah, go ahead. Ask, ask deeper. So what, what have you learned about what men need and about why those needs aren't being met? Cool. That's beautiful. So, uh, somebody I really admire, who's a friend of mine, Mark Green, 
who does a lot of writing, has been writing a lot recently about the man box culture. So man box, we got that. That's something that's kind of been popularized in the culture. Um, and he talks about the, the man box culture. I was taught consciously or unconsciously by my mom, my dad, people around me, media. I was taught a lot of things about what boys and men were supposed to be like when I was young. And, you know, there were a lot of conflicting messages I got about, you know, what men are supposed to be like. And, you know, from men are supposed to be uh, my dad, my dad's very gregarious. My dad's very charismatic. My dad's very hard worker. Like all of that stuff's true. My dad's actually quite emotional. My dad is, is very um, like a, a physical hug. My dad hugged us. So like, I got lots of that stuff. You know, my dad was also uh, non-committal, <laughs> non-loyal, <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of other stuff too. So I got this, all of these things, like I saw everybody like, wow, I love your dad. Your dad's a great guy. Ken's such a good man, all of these things. And at the same time, I was also getting message like, don't be anything like your dad. And I think a lot of guys grow up with messages like that. They're not going to be the same as the ones that I get, but we grow up, we reach what's supposed to be adulthood as men. And it's conflict. It's like, I didn't know that men could actually just be totally straightforward, truthful, and vulnerable with one another. I didn't know that, uh, I didn't know what integrity looked like or felt like. I didn't know how to safely express anger or even feel it. I, I shied away from anger. I didn't know how to grieve in a way that didn't cause shame that I didn't feel embarrassed about. Um, th those are a few things that I learned about what guys need. Like, you know, we're born, we're enculturated a certain way and there's so much more that's possible along the spectrum of human, you know, feeling and depth that I think we kind of, dumb dumb ourselves down as human beings and as men so there was a lot that i learned to express out of that process wow it's kind of like sitting sitting with that for a second you know mm. you definitely learned a lot in that and mm -hmm. it's almost like these are such important and also very natural things it's almost like seems like it should be part of human 101 or something you know it's like things that we um forgot or something you know like we this must have been part of the software at one point or part of the oral tradition passed down that at some point was broken love that love both of those images human software and 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 human being 101 right yeah and there's there's a mythology there's kind of a, myth, a mythological kind of longing for initiation, longing for, you know, the old ways where boys were brought out and raised by men and to be men, whatever that looked like. And I think that what that used to look like isn't the same as what it needs to look like now. 
but we don't get social social emotional teaching social emotional learning is something that only really can happen in community right you can't sit down in a classroom and get taught social emotional learning and who's responsible for that like we're responsible for that together as communities as culture and we've kind of uh let that go let that responsibility go and so where do we get that learning we get it from from freaking television mm-hmm. and you know life doesn't happen 23 and a half minutes at a time or 48 minutes with a nice resolution at the end like that's not how it works it's long and slow and messy and and i think that it's incumbent upon us as men to figure that stuff out like okay what do we mean by masculinity what is it that we want out of mature manhood what is it to go from being a boy to being a man and and together as in community we we build the structures and the ways of ways of thinking and teaching to do that i think this is probably a good time then because what's coming up now is like for me in this conversation is thinking how this ties in with the school shootings and the mass shootings that we're seeing. Right. Cause the majority of these uh, mm-hmm. people that do them are young men. And yeah. so where do young you see the tie men. in there? Yep. Yeah. So um, a lot of the reading that I've done, you know, there's this kind of call for th- this kind of, how do we teach our boys? How do we, how do we embrace our boys? And there's some valid stuff out there in um, you know, the most recent book by Warren Farrell is called The Boy Crisis. And while I have some trouble with some of the ways that Warren Farrell frames um, and talks about it, he's got kind of an essentialist kind of view on manhood, I, I think. I don't, I'm not even sure. But um, what's true is there's no, there's no continuity in the way that we teach young people about existing in in society together in community together and for a lot of young boys there is an incredible lack of emotionally mature male role modeling now whether that's from a father in the home so there's you know there's a lot of statistical evidence about the boys who end up doing these violent acts fatherlessness is a big thing about that so whether it's a lack of father or a lack of a community of healthy male role models or you know anybody there like isolation kills human beings human beings are not meant to live isolated we're we are built for community we are built for connection and to the extent that we let people be disconnected from community we set ourselves up for acts of acts that only arise from isolation acts of violence that only arise from that kind of disconnection from the human experience mm. and and when i look at and read the stories about these boys and young men doing these doing these violent acts it's i i know that i believe that i don't know I believe that if there were communities of men and women together who were really committed to 
giving a social emotional learning environment for all young people that didn't just let them disappear because most of those boys, they disappear six or nine or a year or two years before they ever carry out these acts, right? They, they psychically vanish, um, that we could change that. And, and then I think structurally, if we enlarge that, like no sane society has the kind of availability of weapons of death. If, if we are truly committed to like social emotional community, we wouldn't let that happen because fear is what drives fear is what drives that fear is what drives my desire to feel protected and safe in a world that isn't where that isn't a possibility. It's not possible to feel safe and guns don't make me safer. Guns make me less safe, you know, but that's emotional. That's all emotional stuff. That's not. So from our emotional wounding, we create structural things that we think of as, as solutions that are actually just deepening the emotional wounding. Mm-hmm. That was a long answer. Oh, you laid it down. I mean, that was so good. Isolation kills. I mean, that's like, that's sticking out as a big alarm bell for me. It is. And on the other end, so there's boys. That's, that's the kind of conversation about young boys and how we're setting, how we're setting up youth. Um, yeah. And the, so epidemic of, epidemic of that kind of violence in youth and also the epidemic of suicide in men. Yes. So, you know, for men 45 to 60 years old, it's like in the top five now. Suicide is like in the top five causes of death. And that's insane, (laughs) you know, and what does that connect to? So that's like, that is, and especially for white men. So the, the people who, the men who are supposed to have all of these things, because culture has told us that we're supposed to have all these things. We're supposed to have power. We're supposed to be providers. We're supposed to be in control of our lives. We're supposed to be able to uh, make money and provide for our families. We're supposed to have a sense of, of ownership and control of our lives. All of these things that we're told that we're supposed to have are, it's changed. Society has changed so rapidly. And again, we were talking before we started, right, about how you can't disconnect any piece. You can't disconnect our economic system or our political system or gender system or race or ethnicity. You can't disconnect any of those pieces from the whole. So what we end up with is men who have no sense of purpose, men who feel like they know they there is no way for them to be the providers that they are supposed supposed to be in quotes that they don't have there's no future look for them there's nothing to look forward to there's no built-in sense of uh belonging left in our culture in many places so for those men that creates an incredible amount of pain and again isolation kills and and here we are so what do we do about that and to answer that question i just want to just clarify this piece before we dig into the what do we do about it which is if i understand what you're saying from hearing you clearly it sounds like a a lack of connected healthy community is at the root cause 
that feels very true to me. Yeah. And, uh, and a lack of, uh, healthy, um, healthy social development for, um, like human training, right? Like what we think men are supposed to be doesn't really function well in the society that we live in. So it's up to us to change that learning and teaching and mentoring and understanding and connection so that we can have healthy communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it kind of all has to, I, I'm, I, I work in, in this, I work at, with the mankind project. I work with men because I believe that, um, healing, healing that wounding creates new possibilities for how men can show up in the world. And I believe that men who do this work, um, together in communities, um, then are inspired and uh, purpose-driven to create and work toward solutions with other people um, that I don't think most men have it in their awareness. I think that culturally, men and women, a lot of it is just, you know, pain avoidance is driving us. Disc, you know, that kind of disconnection is painful. So we fill our lives with distractions in order to avoid that pain. Um, and when we face that pain and when we have communities to be able to work with that pain together, um, then I think that there's possibility for us to figure out, okay, now what do we need to do to take care of our planet? What do we need to do to take care of each other? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then you're able to look up, look around and see who else you can help. Right. See what needs to be done now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now that, now that I'm not starving for oxygen myself. Yes. I think this would be a good time to talk about some of the, maybe even a, a particular story or some kind of anecdote of um, some of the transformation that you've seen. Um, that'd be interesting to, to hear about. Yeah. What I, um, what I've experienced myself and what I've, what I've experienced myself, the transformation that I experienced was I was scared that, um, you know, I grew up being a really nice, nice guy, nice kid, but sweet kid, very sweet. Um, good boy, great mask. I, I wore the mask well. And, um, and I was terrified of, of power, my own power. I was terrified of my own shame. I hid from, hid from myself, hid from everyone around me. I, I don't know that I was capable of having a really authentic relationship um, because I was so afraid that people would actually see me. And the New Warrior Training Adventure and the work that I've done, the work that I keep doing, I experienced a sense of my own power and vibrance, vibrancy, um, on that weekend that I'd, I'd never stepped into that much emotional and physical power in my life, scared the hell out of me. And knowing that I could do that and not 
uh, hurt myself or hurt someone else was life altering. Um, and, and knowing that now I have access to a kind of, a kind of raw energy, a raw power in myself that I didn't know was there, uh, I can go back to that. Um, and then the understanding of, of this thing, this practice of masculinity as practice. So having emotions is just human. Learning to deal with them is something that we can do, something that can be learned, right? So I know now if I'm really cranked up, bent, that I have a place to go where I can vent that out in whatever way I need to so that I can get back to what I'm here to do. And that's powerful for me. And the transformation that I see in so many men is um, there are a lot of men like me who get a sense of power and it energizes them to do things like I can do and, and, and be more than I thought I was possible thought was possible for me. I also see a lot of men who are so locked down, who the, the armor is so tight and the mask is so fixed that they don't think that they can show emotion and seeing their, you know, they go through this process of the, of the training and start doing work in men's group and seeing their kids stand up and say, daddy, I, I didn't know that you could love me that way. I thought you were just angry all the time. You know, or seeing a wife stand up and this, I've heard this several times, many times from women, seeing a wife or partner stand up and say, I think that you finally understand the person that I've always seen in you. Like the partners get it. Right? They see us. They see the beautiful men that are inside. And when we see it and can start to step into it, like that transforms relationships. Right? So that's kind of the very personal and family side. And then the other transformation that I see is um, there are guys who get lit up by this work who go out there and create incredible stuff. So guys who, uh, you know, started doing this work and then wanted to see it in prisons. So now there are five or six different prison projects across the country. There was a film last year, a documentary film called The Work, which is about Folsom Prison, New Folsom Prison in California, and circles of men doing intense emotional work inside a maximum security prison with MKP guys. Wow. Right. Or boys to men, an organization that's now all over the country and in multiple other countries. I don't know all of them um, where adult men get together, do their own growth work, do their own personal development work so that they can go be mentors to young men in their lives and give them that space to grow. And we've got a long enough history of that now that we've got, boys who went through that process when they were in their teens grow into young men grow into adult men go through the new warrior training or get connected to men kind mankind groups and then their kids now starting to emerge into those places mm -hmm. 
multi-generations have been teaching and sharing with each other that kind of connection and mentoring, right? Um, that's the kind of like work that gets that's getting done out there that that really excites me. And um, yeah, so many men, when we get out of our own way, right? When 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 the pain that we're in or the wounds that are holding us back or the beliefs that are holding us back, old stuff starts to break apart, then it's like, oh, now, now what's possible for me? Now what do I really want to do? Mm. What do what do I want to see happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's almost like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs concept, right? It's like you work up through this through the rungs and then you get to this place where you can start really coming into a fuller version of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Transcendence. Yeah. Yeah. That was the, that was that kind of added on later by Maslow was, you know, after we get our all of our acceptance needs and kind of communal needs, there's this transcendence that happens where it's like, oh, I see the world now <laughs> and who I am in it and what how I can contribute. Yeah. 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 That's a beautiful thing. And I mean, that's so, so okay let me ask you this question because i think it, it might be tied into it. it's like what would you say is the opposite of a mass shooter wow what's the opposite of a mass shooter um <laughs> I just had, this is, uh, so this may just be because my brain is, is triggered right here um, now, but um, so I just had a conversation with a guy uh, who, who just went through the, the training very recently, but has been doing men's work for a lot of decades with other organizations and doing stuff. And uh, he is a preschool special education teacher. <laughs> a preschool special education teacher who's been wow. doing social emotional growth and men's work through, right you know, like that's the opposite of a mass yeah. shooter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's like a, like a, you go from taking life to giving life in some way. Yeah. To, to building something holistic, you know, soulful men. I like there's a wholehearted masculinity. Like I, I love those kinds of images and I love just feeling how that resonates in my body when to think about, okay, what does it, what does it mean to be a soulful man? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that wholehearted masculinity, that's really ringing for me, you know, that, that wholeness and that full expression that's, that's centered and fully alive, you know? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And that, um, so do you, uh, HeartMath, has HeartMath Institute popped into your radar at all? Um, only for like looking at the, the Schumann resonance every once in a while. Have you, have you seen that? They have the, they have like the random number generator that's like um, pulled in from, I think Stanford uh, or one of those. And then uh, the Schumann resonance that they do, but I haven't seen anything that they do as far as programs or anything like that at all. HeartMath just, I haven't done any of their training programs, but the, the idea that rings for me is the that our hearts and our nervous systems are constantly giving off something and the something that we give off actually has an impact 
a measurable impact on the things and people around us. And when, you know, I know I can feel now in my body, and I certainly don't remember this, you know, I can feel now in my body when my vagal nerve is activated and when my heart, mind, heart, mind, gut, mind, brain, right, are all kind of vibing together. So I can feel that mm -hmm. activation in in my body, um, like, wow, I'm present. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow, I'm alive right now. And I think that that's like, what an opportunity. What a beautiful, like, how fun is that? To, to have access to that kind of energy instead of using my energy to keep, you know, shoving down all the stuff that I don't want to recognize about myself. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and then all the possibilities that are generated in the expression that comes from being in that place. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what it means to other people, what, you know, I like, you know, you, you probably know, I'm sure you probably are one of these people. We don't know each other that well, but you probably are one of these people who can walk into a room of strangers and change the vibe in the room. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Learnable skill. How cool is that? That we can learn and teach each other ways to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And then the ripple effects that that has as we all start to live into these fuller versions of ourselves, man, that's, yeah. that's, that's great. I'm so, so thankful for the work that you're doing boys. And this I'm just like, I think the a little bit more of without um, doing it uh, firsthand, just having a bit more of a of a understanding or sinking in of the work that you're doing and the person you are and how you're showing up. So, really, man, I really, really recognize you for what you're doing. Thank you. you are. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Can I plug? Please. Yeah. This is perfect time. Uh, yeah, I know we're we're gonna wrap up. Just the mankind project. So it's. For some guys, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere. This doesn't seem accessible. Uh, a weekend training may not may not be accessible for you, um, and it's also it's a big ask, right? We're going to ask you to to uh, go and get together with a whole bunch of whole bunch of guys that you don't know and do do what we don't know and have an emotional experience. Like holy shit, that's all really scary. Um, we have a three week online curriculum now. I think you're probably hearing my dog chewing on a chew toy behind <laughs> me also. Um, we have a three-week online curriculum now. It's three 90-minute um, virtual meetings, 12 to 14 participants per session with two facilitators and a curriculum that is geared toward taking first steps on a, on a journey like this one. So it's a, it's, it's low cost. It's easy. All you need is a computer and a Zoom meeting, a Zoom room. Uh, you know, you just join our Zoom room. And uh, the guys who have been going through that program, it's amazing what can be created in three 90-minute sessions when guys get together and just kind of focus in on a few simple things. We give you some simple tools. We give you some communication stuff. We give you some stuff about conflict. We give you some stuff about getting your resistance up in front of you so that you can move through it. Um, 
It's very simple, very easy. Themenswork.org is the website. So we just call it The Men's Work. So it's themenswork.org. We run four sessions a month right now, and that's really a good way to, to learn more. That's beautiful. It's a, a tangible action that people listening can take. And again, really appreciate it, boys. And thank you so much for sharing in the conversation. Thanks for showing up and um, looking forward to more chats, man. Yeah, you too, Chris. Thanks.